Good morning. Welcome to Boucher Creek. Matthew 26 is where we're going to be in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Uh, the year was 1908, and uh, Ernest Shackleton, an Irish explorer, headed on an Antarctic expedition to reach the South Pole. And his expedition came closer than any one before them, but 97 miles short of the South Pole, they had to turn back. In his diary, Shackleton told of the time when their food supplies were exhausted except for one last ration of hardtack. It's a uh, sort of dried biscuit. It was given to each of the men, and some of the men, they took snow, melted it, and made tea to uh, drink with their hardtack. Others, however, they stored the hardtack in their food sacks, saving it for a fast mo- one last moment of, of hunger, desperation. The men built a fire, and weary and exhausted, they climbed into their sleeping bags to face a restless sleep, tossing and turning throughout the frigid evening. Shackleton writes that he was almost asleep when, out of the corner of his eye, he noticed that one of his most trusted men was sitting up in his bag and looking around to see if anyone was watching. Shackleton's heart sank as this trusted man began to reach toward the food sack of the man next to him. Shackleton watched as the man opened up his food sack and took his own hardtack and put it into the other man's sack. That's true sacrifice. I have no doubt that this man's sacrificial giving left an indelible imprint in Ernest Shackleton's life. Stories of sacrifice move us because they're costly. There's risk involved. And giving sacrificially lies at the very heart of God's story. We're in a series of messages titled, This Is Us, where we're walking through our refined core values as a church. Our first core value is we stand on biblical truth, carry the sword. Our second core value is we connect relationally, break the bread. Today, we turn our attention to our third core value as a church. We give sacrificially. This isn't just some cute phrase. This isn't a a nice slogan. It is a deeply rooted core value in the Christian faith and in this church. And when I think of giving sacrificially, I think of April and some other women here in the church who selflessly uh, put together and make freezer meals to 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 give to people in this congregation when they're recovering from surgery or they've experienced loss or grief. I I think of guys like Rod and Greg who week in and week out get down on their their hands and knees and they serve in our kids' ministry so faithfully. I think of several people in this church who would wish to remain anonymous but who give so generously so that the mission of God can move forward at this church. I think of Dan and Maggie and Ryan and Wendy and Scott and Kathy and dozens of other couples who open up their homes each week to host small groups so that meaningful connections can be fostered and spiritual growth can happen. I think of our small groups over the last several weeks who have been out serving in our community in so many different capacities. We've seen so many groups that have uh, served with our 4 by 4 initiative, meeting needs and helping others in our community. 
You don't have to look very far in Scripture to see stories of sacrificial giving. In the book of Genesis, we read about Abraham, how he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac to the Lord. In the New Testament, the disciples, they gave up their family and, 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 their, and their jobs. They left their homes. They left everything to go and follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, the good Samaritan sacrificed his time and money to take care of a wounded and helpless stranger. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus observed a poor widow in the temple giving two small coins, which was all she had to live on. He commended her for her sacrificial giving as she gave out of her poverty. We could go on and on and on. But the story that I want us to look at today is a woman who anointed Jesus with expensive perfume. We read about the story in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. And this woman's act of sacrificial giving serves as an example for all of us. We're going to read this story together. So if your Bible's turned there, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 26, beginning in verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they ask? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told and memory of her. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So picture the setting. Jesus is reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. And there's a woman who's unnamed, but certainly unforgettable. She enters with an alabaster jar filled with very expensive perfume. Now, there are two somewhat similar stories in the Gospels. Uh, Luke tells of a woman who lived a sinful life anointing Jesus at the home of a Pharisee who was critical of Jesus. That is a different story than the one we're looking at today. Mark and John, they both tell this same story. And John tells us a great deal more in John chapter 11 and 12. First of all, John makes clear that this woman is Mary the sister of Lazarus. And this incident happens at a dinner who was attended by both of those people shortly after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. We read here that this story takes place in the home of Simon the leper, which I take to mean the home of Simon the former leper, the healed leper. And so this occasion, you have two people who have been miraculously healed by Jesus. And this expensive perfume wasn't just any perfume. It would make Chanel seem like a Walmart special. This was a nard. It was probably imported from India, and it was worth about one year's wages. It was about 12 ounces, and it was intensely fragrant. 
So, so picture it about as large as a can of Coke. And something this valuable was probably a family heirloom, perhaps passed down from one generation to another. Keep in mind that Mary's brother had recently died, and this treasure hadn't even been used at his own funeral. So in her hands, she has this this jar that, that symbolizes her security. This jar symbolizes her earthly treasure. But she has something else in her heart. She has a deep love and devotion for our Lord. As she approaches Jesus, she does something that astonishes everyone in the room. She takes this alabaster jar, this precious container of her security, and she breaks it. She doesn't merely open it, she breaks it. It's an act that defies logic. She completely empties the jar, holding nothing back. And that's the image that, that we want to use to remember this core value. Empty the jar. Empty the jar. Mary poured out this powerful oil over Jesus' head and his feet, anointing him with an extravagant display of her love and devotion. I imagine that 12 ounces of such valuable perfume must have been very nearly overpowering, as was the display itself. Imagine for a moment that you saw someone pour out perfume valued at a year's salary all at once over someone. And there in a moment, it's all gone, completely used. Normally, people would use a few drops, and then only at very special occasions. She empties the entire jar. As I read this story this week, the thought occurred to me. I wonder if that fragrant oil left its scent on Jesus all the way to the tomb six days later. This action speaks volumes about the condition of her heart. She could have only given a few drops, kept the rest for herself, and she still would have appeared generous. But she doesn't settle for anything less than emptying the jar completely. The most curious question in this story is whether or not the woman knew that she was anointing Jesus for his burial. Was she doing that, or was Jesus simply applying this outpouring of love for that purpose? What was he simply saying, you know, this woman is doing more than she even realizes? Most scholars are rather skeptical that she realized she was anointing Jesus for his burial, but I've become very convinced that she knew indeed. Remember, this was Mary. And as William Hendrickson put it, Mary of Bethany was perhaps the best listener Jesus ever had. The woman who now anointed Jesus' feet was the same one who had been previously sitting at his feet. If even the enemies of Jesus knew about the predictions that Jesus had made concerning his death and resurrection, can we not assume that Mary knew fully as much? But even beyond this, Mary is the sister of Lazarus, who was recently called back from the grave after he had been in there for four days by Jesus. Mary is a woman who understood life and death from a whole new angle. I think Mary was the first person to grasp the wonder of the gospel before Jesus died and rose again. 
And it was from this sense of wonder and from this place of worship that she made such an extravagant offering. Church, this is genuine discipleship. The true disciple asks, not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give? Now think about the reaction of the disciples. They witness this remarkable event, and they react with criticism. They question the practicality of this act of love. They, they say, why waste? This perfume could have been sold, and the money could have been given to the poor. It's a common worldly perspective. See, see, they see the jar as something to protect. They see the jar as something to preserve, something to guard, not something to break. Yet Jesus, he responds differently. He recognizes the depth of her sacrifice, her willingness to empty the jar. He praises her. He says, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And that prediction is fulfilled because you and I are talking about this woman today. What an incredible lesson for all of us. This woman who anointed Jesus teaches us the true essence of sacrificial giving. She shows us that emptying the jar is not an act of foolishness, but an act of faith. It's giving to the point where it hurts, pouring out our most precious possessions and holding nothing back. We live in a world that often encourages us to preserve, to hold on tightly to our resources. But this faithful woman who anointed Jesus reminds us that true riches do not come from hoarding, but from emptying our jars. This is the heart of sacrificial giving. And we too are called to break the jar of our comfort zones, to break the jar of our selfishness, to break the jar of our worldly attachments. And in the same way that she poured out her perfume on Jesus, we are called to pour out our lives for Him and in service of those in need around us. And so as a church, as as we embrace this core value of we give sacrificially, May we remember this woman's example. May we be inspired by her extravagant love and devotion. And may we too give without reservation. For it is in the act of emptying our jars that we discover the true depth of God's blessings and the abundant joy of living a life of sacrificial love. But before you and I go about emptying our jars, I think we first need to ask the question, what's what's in our jars? What's in your jar? I think for all of us, there are at least three things in our jars. Time, talent, and treasure. All of us have the same amount of time. We have 24 hours in a day. We have seven days a week. We have 365 days a year. The question becomes, how are you giving of your time? Are you very selective and very protective of your time? Will you say, God, you get this much of my time, but nothing more? Or or do you empty the jar of your time, giving sacrificially to the Lord, pouring out your jar, saying, God, everything that you have given is a gift, 
And my time belongs to you and for the furthering of your kingdom. Every one of us have talents. We have skills. We have abilities. We have spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has gifted you with spiritual gifts to be used to build up the body of Christ. So so how are you using those talents? To build up yourself? To further your own career or success in the world? Or are you emptying your jar of your talents, poured out in service for God and His kingdom? Every single one of us have treasure. And treasure is simply money. It's, it's resources. It's our finances. For, for a lot of people, they say, you know, God, I'll, I'll give you this much and, and nothing more. Are, are you emptying your jar of your finances for the furthering of God's kingdom and His mission? Or are, are you holding on to it? Are you trying to build your own kingdom? Are you trying to make sure that, that you feel secure and, and that, you know, if, if things were to fall apart, I don't really need God because I'm taking care of myself? Or are you emptying the jar, pouring it all out for the sake of God and His kingdom? Empty the jar. Our third core value is we give sacrificially. And I want to share three truths with you about sacrificial giving. First, sacrificial giving is costly. If what you give doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. Last week we read from Acts chapter 2, and I want to revisit that passage again because it's a vivid illustration of the early church's commitment to sacrificial giving. Verses 44 and 45 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and give to anybody who had need. They emptied their jars by selling their possessions, sharing everything that they had, helping to meet the needs of others. The early church experienced incredible unity and fellowship. They broke bread together. They they shared their belongings. They provided for one another. And I want you to notice that that the sacrificial giving wasn't out of obligation. They didn't give sacrificially because they were forced to, but they did so because they wanted to. They desired to support one another and advance God's kingdom. And that is a far cry from how most Christians give today. Most Christians today give out of convenience. Convenience giving is comfortable. Christianity Today recently reported that more than a quarter of American Christians give no money to God's mission through the church. Their, their study found that 10% of American Christians give more than 8%. 23% of Christians give between 2% and 8%. 26% give 0%. And the largest percentage, 42%, give less than 2% to God's mission through the local church. Now, if my math is correct, That's 68%. More than two-thirds of American Christians give less than 2% to God's mission through the church. That tells me that most Christians practice convenience giving, not sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is costly. Second, we give because He first gave all. We give sacrificially 
as a reflection, as a response to God's love for us. Of course, God's ultimate act of giving was the sending of His Son Jesus to be a sacrifice for our redemption. We look no further than the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16, which emphasizes God's sacrificial love poured out for us so that we might receive salvation. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. When we give sacrificially, we are doing so out of a response of God's sacrificial love for us. We give because we have received. On September 3rd, 1939, German troops invaded Belsko, Poland. A 15-year-old girl named Gerda Weissmann and her family survived in a Jewish ghetto until June of 1942. That's when Gerda was torn from her mother, kicking and screaming. Her mother, Helene, was sent to a death camp, and Gerda would spend three years in a Nazi concentration camp, followed by a 350 death march that she somehow survived. By the time that she was liberated by American troops, Gerda was a 68-pound skeleton. And in what must rank as one of the most improbable love stories ever, ever, Gerda actually married the soldier who rescued her. His name was Lieutenant Kurt Klein. There's a Holocaust memorial in Boston, Massachusetts, where there are six glass towers. They represent the six extermination camps where six million Jews lost their lives. Five of the towers tell the story of terrible cruelty and unimaginable suffering. But the sixth tower stands as a testimony to hope. Inscribed on it is a short story titled One Raspberry, written by Gerda Weissman Klein. This is what she writes. Elsie, a childhood friend of mine, once found a raspberry in the camp and carried it in her pocket all day to give to me that night on a leaf. Imagine a world where your entire possession is one raspberry and you gave it to your friend. The true measure of a gift is what you gave up to give it. One raspberry isn't much unless it's all that you have. Then it's not next to nothing, it's everything. The same is true of $2 billion or two mites. Big dreams often start with small acts of kindness. It's powerful when we're on the receiving end, but it's even more wonderful when we're on the giving end. Church, do you realize that in the gospel, we have nothing? And God gave us the ultimate priceless gift by giving us His Son? Fundamental to the character of God is our God is a God who gives. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you have not received? James reminds us in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. God has given us so much. And you will never outgive God. But you know what? It sure is fun trying. Because God loves sacrificial giving. You want to become more like Christ? You want to become more like God? Just give sacrificially 
and see what happens in your life. We give because He first gave all. Third, I want you to see that God honors sacrificial giving because sacrificial giving honors God. Contrary to the world's view, sacrificial giving isn't about losing, it's about gaining. When we empty the jar of our resources, God's blessings flow abundantly. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-8, through 8, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God, according to this passage, God provides for those who give generously and who give with a cheerful heart. And and when you give sacrificially, you you begin to, to have a greater sense of purpose in your life. You find a deeper fulfillment. You find that you have spiritual abundance. When you give generously and sacrificially, you experience God's blessing like you never imagined. God honors sacrificial giving because sacrificial giving honors God. And the incredible thing, what you discover is that when you empty your jar for Jesus, you keep getting filled up. You empty your jar and God fills you back up, and you empty your jar and God fills you back up, and you empty your jar and God fills you back up. At Bachelor Creek, we, we empty the jar. We give sacrificially. We hold nothing back. What's it look like for you to empty the jar of your life at the feet of Jesus? I think emptying the jar means that, that you share your faith enthusiastically. You give of your time to tell others about Jesus. You're not holding back. You don't care what other people think. You don't care what other people say. You just enthusiastically share. Emptying the jar means that, that when you come to, to worship on, on Sundays, that you give all of yourself in worship. You worship God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. You don't hold back. Emptying the jar means that that you give generously and obediently of your finances and your resources for the sake of furthering the kingdom of God. Emptying your jar means that that you serve selflessly of your time and of your talents. Empty, empty your jar. See, see your job isn't to, to fill up someone else's jar. You couldn't do that even if you tried. Your job isn't to empty someone else's jar. God calls you to empty your jar. So what is it that you're holding on to? What's in your jar that you're not ready to part with? What is it in your life that you trust more than God? Is there some insecurity? Are you holding back? Are you guarding your jar because you you think, hey, this is something that I can fall back on in case God doesn't provide for me? Jim Elliott was a famous missionary who was martyred, reaching the very people. He was killed by the people he was trying to, to minister to. 
And he famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God calls us to give sacrificially, to empty the jars of our lives, to not just empty the jar of our time or of our talents, of our treasure, but our entire lives are to be offered to God, poured out and fully surrendered to Him. Paul says it this way in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our entire lives poured out before God. So very quickly, how can we put this core value into practice? Let me give you two steps. First, give until it hurts. Give until it hurts. As your pastor, I will never apologize for encouraging you to do something of eternal significance with your life. When, when you write that check, when you give online, when, when you text to give, and you look at that amount and it starts to hurt, I want you to know that God sees and God knows and God honors sacrificial giving. It's not the amount, it's the sacrifice. Because what's sacrificial for me may be different than what's sacrificial for you, and what's sacrificial for you may be different than what's sacrificial for them. The biblical standard is 10%. That's a a tithe. And for some people, 10% is is sacrificial giving, but for some people, giving 10% requires very little faith. I once heard Warren Buffett say in an interview, he was talking about his $26 billion gift to the Gates Foundation. And Warren Buffett said this. He said, my gift has not changed my lifestyle one bit. I still go to the movies that I want to go to and eat at the restaurants that I want to dine at. But what about the person who gives a gift that requires that they can't go to the movies or eat out? They are the true givers, the true heroes of generosity. I want to encourage you to give until it hurts. Second, I want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone, to to stretch yourself. For some of you, you have gotten into the routine where you come to church on Sunday and you sit down and you're part of the service and and when it's done, you leave. And so for some of you, getting out of your comfort zone means beginning to serve in a ministry, to begin giving of your time and your talents for the Lord. There are some of you who serve very consistently once a month and you have said, God, I'm going to give you this much but nothing more. And I just want to ask, if you're serving monthly, Are you serving out of sacrifice or are you serving out of convenience? For for some of you, if you've never given faithfully and you've never given consistently, start today. Get out of that comfort zone. If you've never automated your giving, begin to set that up by by setting up recurring giving. Get, Get out of your comfort zone. For some of you, getting out of your comfort zone would be going on a mission trip. We've got a mission trip upcoming in March to Guatemala, and for some of you, God is asking you to be stretched a little bit and to serve in a way that you haven't before. I am always amazed. And as I look out, I can, some of you jump to mind, where you get maybe two weeks of vacation a year, maybe three weeks of vacation, and you will use one of those weeks of vacation to go and serve on a mission trip. Or you'll use one of those weeks of vacation to to go be a leader at kids camp or go serve with our students at CIY. 
And if you were up here, you'd say, you know what, I'm planning on doing it again this year. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of everything that I have to give. At Bachelor Creek, our core value is we give sacrificially. And how do we remember it? Empty the jar. This is us. This is who we are. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your sacrificial love poured out for us. God, you gave it all when you sacrificed Jesus on the cross so that we might be redeemed from our sins, so that we might be forgiven, so that we may be made pure and righteous and holy in your eyes. God's sacrificial giving is fundamental to who you are. And God, I pray that as a church, that this would be a core value that, that we don't just aspire to become, but it's, but it's a value that, that we actually adhere to. And God, I pray that, that as we give of our time and we give of our talents and, and we give of our resources, our treasure, God, our, our desire is that the ministry of this church would extend, that your kingdom would grow, that lives would be changed. God, that we would be changed. God, you promised to provide for us when we pour out our lives for you. And so, God, my prayer is that we would not just give out of convenience, but God, I pray that we would give until it hurts. I pray that we would give until it costs us something. Because you have given it all. And I pray that in response to that generous love, that we would empty our jars at your feet. Because Jesus, you are worthy. And we pray in your name. Amen.